And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Forum Club, the weekly Lakers podcast from The Athletic. I'm Bill Oram, joined as always by Jovan Buha, and this week we are talking play-in, sort of, like a preamble to the play-in, really. Um, The Lakers have a nice stretch here without uh, games, three days off, and waiting on the other side of that break is a uh, a showdown with the New Orleans Pelicans who are knocking on the Lakers door for the nine seed in the West uh, has looked like the probable uh, first play in game for the Lakers for quite a while now, although uh, the San Antonio Spurs are lurking. But today we're going to talk a little bit about how the Lakers got to this point. But I think we're mostly going to dive in on this Pelicans matchup, Jovan, and how significant uh, it's going to be on Sunday night in New Orleans. Uh, what are your initial thoughts? I mean, this is basically the battle for the ninth seed. And, you know, they, they will play again. So th- this isn't the end-all, be-all in, in terms of determining it. But this will go a long way in that. And, and I believe the Pelicans will have the tiebreaker if they win either of the last two games. So, you know, the, the, the Lakers, uh, I think Russell Westbrook, said it best he called it a must win and like we we know russ has had a nonchalant attitude for most of the season whenever talking about stakes or seating or the team struggles he's kind of always brushed it off but for russ to kind of acknowledge hey this is actually a must win situation that we need to get up for and it's a game you know we we need to go into new orleans into a playoff like atmosphere and go win that game like that to me was telling and you know i would have liked to have heard LeBron's thoughts on that game. And I'm sure we'll hear it over the next couple of days uh, if the Lakers practice, but I think it's, it's a big game and it, it is, uh, you know, Frank kind of said it too, where he's like, you know, we, we kind of get three cracks at these guys over the next couple of weeks where we're going to have the two regular season matchups. And then most likely the, the third game will be uh, the, the first playing matchup. So uh, I think for the Lakers, they're 11 and 24 on the road. I would, you know, for, for as well as they played the last few games, I, I would not love their chances going into New Orleans, uh, you know, uh, on the road. They, they just have not been a good road team. And um, I think a lot of their best wins have come at home, which is kind of what you see from lottery level teams. So I think, you know, sure, if, if AD's back and, and looks like himself, I, I think they'll be favored in that game. But I think for the Lakers, it really is important to win on Sunday, get that advantage. Uh, you know, kind of going into the last couple of weeks of the season and then hopefully secure the nine seed and have home court against the Pelicans. Because I do think if they drop to 10, uh, that definitely decreases their chances of advancing. Yeah. And I mean, I think we also have to um, keep in mind, I mean, the Lakers have played better and we've seen some real competitive spirit from them um, over the last four games. Uh, they're two and two in that stretch, which, you know, isn't much to write home about, but it's certainly better than the, the the way they were playing and just getting blown out on a nightly basis. Frank Vogel's gone all in on these lineups with, you know, guys who weren't on the team at the beginning of the year or even at the trade deadline. I mean, DJ Augustine, Wenyan Gabriel playing big roles, um, Austin Reeves, 
uh, Stanley Johnson. So, uh, you know, that's been a little bit out of necessity, but also, I mean, you know, those are the guys who are willing to compete and, and are actually fitting around Russell Westbrook, LeBron, when he's been on the floor, obviously. Um, but the Lakers are not winning games at a, enough of a pace that makes you say they are a lock for the, the play in. No. I think we give them the benefit of, you know, the doubt and we assume, hey, LeBron's not going to let them fall out of the play in. Anthony Davis is going to get back at some point and they'll, and they'll kind of sneak in there. But, you know, I'm looking just at strength of schedule over these last, um, you know, these last nine games for the Lakers. And, you know, I use Tankathon strength of schedule. And the Lakers have the second toughest schedule left playing Phoenix, Golden State, Utah, Dallas, and the Nuggets twice. Um, and and then, you know, on that in that ranking, New Orleans is 24th, you know, with some pretty winnable games against Sacramento, two against Portland. Um, you know, the Lakers show up as like their, their easier competition. But I mean, game against Sacramento, two against Portland, the Lakers don't have anything like that. The Lakers' easiest games the rest of the way, they have one game against Oklahoma City. That's it. Everybody else is in the playoff mix. Um, and then San Antonio, kind of the same as New Orleans, uh, has, you know, two games against Portland, a game against Houston. So there are like games that you would consider kind of like sure wins for the Spurs. And I don't know that you can find those with the Lakers. So, you know, if like, I don't, let's say the Spurs go, um, they have 10 games left. Let's say they, or they have nine games left. Let's say they go five and four or even four and five and the Lakers go two and two and seven. Well, I mean, there's your difference, right? So it could be a little dicey. Looking at the last 10, the, the Spurs are, are five and five. The Pelicans are four and six and the Lakers are three and seven. So like that yeah. isn't trending in the right direction for the Lakers. Correct. I mean, I, I know again, they're playing better these last few games, but I mean, my other thing with this though, is that like, I feel like, and I wrote it last night, but like we have seen these, like maybe not this particular stretch from the Lakers, but I mean, we, we were writing similar things right before the all-star. I mean, or, you know, right around the all-star break, kind of coming out of yeah. it, the, the, the first couple games before the first couple games after it was like, there's this newfound spirit and energy. And then yeah. they went two and nine, you know, for, from that point on. So it's like, I, I would like to see a larger body of work. I, I would yeah. like to see them go on this road trip, go beat new Orleans, uh, you know, and, and then go beat Dallas or Utah, go two and one, and have like a four and three stretch with some right. wins against good teams. And then we can start to say, okay, I think this team is really turning things around because you and I have discussed this. I feel like every episode seemingly where it's like, you know, are the Lakers turning it around? And it's like, well, they haven't won consecutive games in 75 days, you know, over, over yeah. 75 days. So what constitutes turning it around going two and two? Yeah. Like I, I, I just think so. And I think even looking at their schedule, like I think games you might've said, uh, even a couple weeks ago might not have mattered for their opponents like at Phoenix and at Golden State. Well, for Phoenix, I think they have some incentive to beat the Lakers because that keeps the Lakers, you know, that potentially pushes the Lakers to 10th or even 11th and Phoenix potentially avoids them in the first round. Cause I still think yep. you don't want to play the Lakers and like, I would rather play the Pelicans or the Spurs if I'm an opponent and no I do not question. want to play. Of course you don't want to play LeBron and AD in round one. And then Golden State is now, you know, potentially battling Utah and Dallas uh, and kind of holding those teams off for the three seed. So like Golden State has some incentive in that game as well. So like there's really no cupcakes for the Lakers moving forward and it is OKC, but OKC's already beaten them twice. So it's like really like the Lakers are going to be in a dogfight in every single game the rest of the way. And hopefully they get Anthony Davis back and, and hopefully they can acclimate him for at least like the final week 
or so of the regular season, but there are no gimmies the rest of the way. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how much of what we've seen these last few games is sustainable versus how much of it was just this team has had gotten embarrassed three straight games and they finally showed some sense of pride and urgency. Yeah. And I think what, what's interesting is, you know, things have been so bad for the Lakers that the bar is so low that we can see them go two and two, including a loss to the the wizards without Kyle Kuzma. Um, And, you know, come out of it saying, Hey, that was a pretty good stretch. You know, they beat, they beat, they beat Toronto on, you know, a kind of, you know, nutty shot from Russell Westbrook to get to overtime. Uh, that game probably should have been a loss. Um, and then they, they beat Cleveland in LeBron's return to Cleveland because he always wins that game. Otherwise, they've still just been losing. And it it does speak to how much the bar has been lowered that we're like, yeah, this is great. They're really progressing. I do think there are a few things, though, that you can kind of hang your hat on. And I think that it is that Frank Vogel has found a lineup that's going to play hard for him and that is going to defend, at least to the best of their ability. You know, he has... Um, I think we all like we are very comfortable saying that Stanley Johnson is still a fringe NBA player, you know, and, and you know, Austin Reeves probably, you know, you know is a capable uh, reserve, but like probably is still playing a bigger role than he should be on a team that has chance championship aspirations. Uh, same with Wenyan Gabriel, DJ Augustine. I don't know if he expected to still be in the NBA at this point in this season, but those are the guys who are bringing it for the Lakers. And, you know, it's taken a lot of trial and error uh, to get here. And, you know, I do think that you that, that those guys have to be commended and that, you know, Frank Vogel has to be commended for find, finding the combination that is finally going to give him at least that effort that he's been looking for. It's not all the guys who've made, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars over the course of their career who are sitting on the end of the bench. Um, you know, the Lakers signed a bunch of guys to minimum contracts who haven't panned out. And you can't just come to that determination at the end of training camp and cut all those guys and replace them. Like, it has to be a process. And I think the Lakers have kind of gotten there. I think the question just is, did it take too long? Um so, I mean, it makes these last nine games really interesting because you've got this race for the for the nine or even the 10 seed. You know, I think for the Lakers, the important thing is getting in, although, of course, you'd rather have that that game in Los Angeles. Um, you've got the race for the seed, you know, for this like positive uptick, this relatively positive uptick to produce enough wins to stay in the play in. Also, the race to get Anthony Davis back on the floor before it's too late um, and. I don't know. I mean, it's a lot of things kind of happening at once as the season barrels to the end of the, the regular season. It's just a lot of um, a lot of things that are kind of in flux. Um, and by, but by the way, another thing is New Orleans you know, hasn't had Brandon Ingram these last nine games. They were playing really well. Then he goes down. Well, sounds like he's kind of trending upward. You know, he might be back by this weekend when they play uh, the Lakers. And how much does that change things? Or does that work to the Lakers benefit because he's missed so much time and he's not going to be, you know, you know, the Pelicans will be trying to work him back in. Um, it's interesting and it could get messy. I mean, the Pelicans and Spurs play on Saturday night before the um, the night before the Lakers and Pelicans. So that could add to it. You know, the Pelicans could, um, you know, lose to or could beat Chicago tonight. They could lose to the Spurs. And then it's just going to be one big jumble in that 9-10 seed. So it's going to get messier, I think, before it gets more clearly defined. Yeah. And I, I think this also could be a bit of a pointless exercise because the winner of the 9-10 matchup ends up playing Phoenix, who is reportedly getting Chris Paul back tonight. And I think that was kind of the, the one thing where you're like, okay, if and with Chris's injury history, who knows, right? Because, you know, right. it's kind of, he's always, you know, one play away from, from being out. But um, I think 
you know, that was kind of the one thing where you're like, if, if Phoenix isn't healthy, if, if Chris Paul's still out, if he's hobbled and, and we'll see kind of what condition he comes back in and, and how long it takes him to kind of get uh, reacclimated. But I think if Phoenix is healthy to me, they're the best team in the NBA. Uh, they, they have a, in my opinion, a mental advantage over the Lakers. They've won what six games now consecutive games over them. And I, I don't remember if that even includes the preseason or not, but like, they have not lost to the Lakers in a while. And I do think the Lakers have some matchup advantages, particularly with just AD and LeBron and, and how, you know, physically dominant those guys can be even for a longer, more athletic team like Phoenix. But I, I think, you know, if you're saying that the Lakers potentially have the two best players in that series, the Suns might have like the next five or six best players in that series. And, and that to me is, is, you know, th- that gap is bigger than it was even last year where you, you kind of saw the difference right. between the quality of, of the supporting cast. So uh, to me, I think, you know, I, I think the Lakers could, you know, again, as we've discussed in the past, I, I think they could maybe push the Suns to like six games or something. And, and that's kind of like the, the best case scenario. But I, I think for, for them to actually have a chance to make some noise in the postseason, I think they would have had to have avoided the 9-10 matchup. And at this point, that seems almost impossible. So I think, you know, yes, it's nice that they're turning their season around at this point, but um, I, I think it might be a little bit of a fool's errand to kind of yeah. suggest that this is going to lead to something else because I, I just don't, I don't see it against Phoenix. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, and listen, I mean, like you said, they haven't won consecutive games since January 4th and 7th. And, you know, the question is, well, can they win two consecutive games to get out of the play in even like new Orleans, like that could be a road game. And those are tricky. The Lakers have not been a good road team. Um, You know, sudden death is always kind of a, you know, you know, is a bit of a toss up. Um, And, but let's say they get through that, then they're going to face the Clippers or the Timberwolves. And, I don't. I think you probably would rather have the Clippers in LA, um, you know. Which, listen, I'm here for that. That is a compelling matchup. Like, you know, the Clippers are still shorthanded. Um, you know, they've had the Lakers number obviously for a very long time now. So, I mean, I, you know, the Clippers, I think probably would also welcome that matchup. But, um, you know, the Lakers and Clippers have never played a meaningful basketball game in 40 years as you know cohab cohabitants of of los angeles it just never happened i mean like i mean there have been some like buzzy regular season games they've both been you know good at the same time and those games have mattered i suppose but like they've never met in the postseason and now you're gonna you could potentially have a win or go home uh you know uh game to determine which team's gonna get a crack at it in the playoffs like that would be the to me the first meaningful game in the you know very long history of the Lakers and Clippers both being teams in Los Angeles. So I would enjoy that. Like, I think the storylines from that game would be fantastic. And I think, you know, I think the a motivated Lakers team um, feeling some of the, the weight of that kind of matchup, you know, playing in their own building as the visitor. Um, we know that Clippers home games often turn into uh, some version of a Lakers home game. I kind of would like the Lakers in a matchup against the Clippers, you know, if they can get through that first stretch and Anthony Davis is back and playing well. But I agree with you. Like at the end of the day, what, where does it all lead? You know, it's obviously like you want to quit yourself as well as you can. Like this season has had a lot of bumps and turns, you know, bruises, uh, you know, those things don't all go together. But, um, you know, this has been a rough season in terms of injuries, in terms of you know personnel, roster construction. If you look at it all kind of like, you know, in a vacuum, of course, it's a colossal failure for the Lakers to lose in the first round. But given the way their season has gone, and I'm not saying this is any kind of success at all, but like, 
you want to at least get to the playoffs and give yourself a chance. I think they lose in five or six to Phoenix. And I don't think it's a particularly compelling series. But, you know, if you're the Lakers, you probably can look yourselves in the mirror a little bit more. If it's, you know, you won the play in games, you navigated the play in, you get to the first round and then everything that kind of held you back in the regular season catches up to you. You know, at least you got there. I think you can take some pride in that. I think it still leads to a pretty you know significant shakeup, at least on the coaching staff. Uh, I don't think Frank Vogel survives a first round exit, but I mean, you've got to at least get there. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, potholes on the path to that. Like we've talked about. I mean, the Spurs are very much in the mix at this point. Like I know they've kind of been lurking and they've kind of fallen off here and there but they've you know jumped portland portland is successfully tanking i think san antonio is going to make this interesting i mean they're coached by the winningest coach in nba history they beat the lakers a week ago like you said they're five and five over their last 10 they've got a pretty decent schedule going forward they have three games easier than any game the lakers have i don't know i'm not ruling out the possibility of this getting just a lot a lot messier and you know i guess the thing that gives you some confidence is that anthony davis is sort of you know out there the possibility of a return like you've watched some of his pregame shooting and, and all of that you know he's out there at a very visible time 40 minutes before the game starts he comes out and does his shooting with a, with a Lakers assistant coach what have you thought of his pregame you know work and have you seen him have you seen it ramping up yeah I try not to read too much into some of that stuff because we've also seen Kendrick Nunn sure. <laughs> seemingly working out pregame all season and that is not materialized uh into anything This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, Frank addressed it pregame last game where he, he said that, AD is progressing really well and that uh, they're kind of monitoring his workload every day and and, and sort of trying to increase it uh, marginally. So I think it, it seems like he's going to return. You know, I, I know he, he spoke with us in, in Phoenix a couple weeks ago and he, he seemed to indicate that he's going to do everything he can to return. Now he, he can't guarantee it. And, and I think it, it will kind of depend on, uh, you know, like I think had the Lakers like lost, the last four games and just sort of, you know, been on like a seven game losing streak and the season was just spiraling out of control. Uh, maybe you don't bring back 80 at that point, but I think they're, they're clearly still in that nine ten mix. Uh, and I think he will return. I just don't know, like, but you know, is he returning next week? Is he returning the week after? Like, and I think again, like even in, in this stretch of a few games, we've seen the Lakers, like, I think one interesting thing about these last few games is Taylor Horton Tucker has missed three of the four and it's kind of made like, like we've kind of seen this with the Lakers at times where sometimes like the rotation decisions are a little bit easier because there's a certain guy out and with the way the season's gone, there's probably going to be a guy out come, uh, you know, play in in, in postseason time. But if they somehow get fully healthy, this will be the first time we've seen them with a fully healthy rotation and Frank actually having to make some of these choices because 
Talon is a guy who plays 20, 25 minutes a night. And it's a little bit easier to kind of, you know, sort of figure out these minutes when he's not in there. But like, are you willing to bench a Talon Horton Tucker, who I think doesn't necessarily fit with, with the way that this team has played recently um, and hasn't played as well as we, you kind of saw um, in that Cleveland game. So I, I think that that's kind of my, my one thing is like with AD coming back, obviously it's, it's a welcomed addition and, and he makes the team a, a lot better. But I think ultimately whatever this ends up being the, the eight or nine man rotation it will be the first time we've seen that eight or nine rotation, eight or nine man rotation all season. And like, it's going to kind of be weird. It's going to, you know, is, is Stanley Johnson in it? Is Wenyan Gabriel in it? Uh, where is Mello in it? Right. Like I just think there's so many things that still have yet to kind of be, be solved that the Lakers have to solve within the next two weeks. And I just, I do wonder, you know, how, how do you do that with such, you know, there's just no more time. So I think that the, Taylor Horton Tucker thing um, has led the Lakers to a better place. You know, THT's ups and downs of the season have been too difficult to navigate and it's made him really an un- unreliable player. Um, I don't think he's in the rotation when he comes back or I don't think he's a significant piece of it. You know, DJ Augustine has been a more consistent contributor over the last, again, we're talking about small sample size here, but he, what he has given the Lakers has been so much more valuable than what THT get, gives them. You know, THT is sort of like, oh, maybe he could be a defender, you know, hasn't materialized. You know, he isn't a shooter. Um, you get you get the you get the spacing from Augustine. And you know what? He's a guy who tries defensively, he'll play team defense. You know, he's um he's obviously super undersized, but I think, you know, having a guy who tries, like he fits with those lineups that have Stanley Johnson, Austin Reeves, Malik Monk, um, better than Taylor does. And so I just see him having jumped, uh, having jumped Taylor at this point that could change. It seems to often change with the Lakers, but I right now don't see Taylor as somebody they are too concerned about working back into the rotation. Yeah. And, and if, if that's the case, that that's your fourth highest paid player that you're benching, um, I think Carmelo Anthony is someone that also, depending on the matchup, you know, can be tough to play if teams are really going to target him. And, and we have seen teams. I mean, I, I think particularly in the fourth quarter, he, he gets a little tricky, but we've seen teams. I mean, uh, you know, going back to um, I'm blanking on uh, Jalen Green in, uh in the Rockets game, he sent the he was pretty blunt about it. The, the Rockets game plan down the stretch was find Carmelo Anthony and, you know, involve him in the pick and roll. And, you know, whoever gets him on the mismatch, we're going at mellow. And, um, you know, so I, I think, again, kind of to, to your earlier point, like the Lakers are in this weird kind of thing where it's like, I think we know the three stars are going to play. Uh, you know, Russ has been playing better as of late. I, I think he's deserved his playing time as of late more so than earlier in the season. But aside from that, like, your, the rest of your rotation might end up being Austin Reeves, who was a late addition right before training camp. Malik Monk, who was a minimum guy that we kind of projected behind Taylor, behind Kendrick Nunn, uh, you, you know, be, behind potentially even like a Rondo who was kind of playing early in the season. Uh, then Stanley Johnson, who didn't sign with the team until Christmas. Wanyan Gabriel, who didn't sign with the team until a couple of weeks ago. DJ Augustine, who didn't sign with the team until a couple weeks ago. So like that might be the rest of your rotation and guys like, I mean, we, we know Wayne and Kent are already kind of out of it, but, but even a Dwight, a Mello, 
uh, a tailing, like those guys might not play as much as they initially expected with the way this identity has kind of gone. So it's just a really interesting dynamic for that locker room uh, that, and I I know you you were kind of asking that question last night and I I just found it really fascinating. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I I don't know. Some people in my mentions were, were complaining about Frank Vogel, you know, taking him 71 games to find this lineup. And it's like, what do you expect him to do? I mean, he's got, he's got veteran players who came into this expecting to play, expecting to play a lot. Right. When you're talking about, um, when you're talking about, uh, you know, Ken Bazemore started on opening night. Um, you know, DeAndre Jordan started on opening night. You know, he played off the bench last night for the other team. Um, it's like you have had to work through a lot of iterations of this team. You want to go big. Uh, well, that doesn't work. So then you decide to go small. But then LeBron and AD are hurt. So now you've got to start over. Then you commit to going small. Then AD gets hurt for a significant stretch. Um, you know, it just becomes like it's been so much trial and error and so much that you think you might like, but then you can't see it around LeBron and AD. So then it kind of becomes like what's going to get us through these couple of weeks. Um, and it, it has taken them 72 games and it's taken them a lot of trial and error with the roster, right? Guys who've been brought in who did not work out, guys who've been brought in who did. I mean, Darren Collison just got, you know, signed by the, the Lakers G League team. But like there was a stretch of the season where you know, Darren Collison was seen as maybe you know, a guy who's going to stick around and contribute. And that did not go well at all. Um, you know, Stanley Johnson is, you know, one of the prob- is probably the you know, biggest success story of the uh, hardship, uh, the COVID hardship signings in the league this year. Um, you know, he, he is to me, you know, maybe he's not, doesn't start when they're at full strength, but he has become an absolutely vital player for them. Um, you know, last night he gave you some shooting, which is a bonus, but I mean, everything else is, is just, you know, he plays the way the Lakers need to play. And if you look at the rotation last night, I just pulled it up. Carmelo Anthony, Russell Westbrook, Dwight Howard, and maybe Malik Monk are the only guys who played last night who I think you would have said, you know, would have been rotation players this season. Lakers played eight guys. The other four are Stanley Johnson, Wenyon Gabriel, Austin Reeves, DJ Augustine. Like, I mean, three of those guys weren't on the team before Christmas. And it's just like, it's taken them a while. Like, I mean, Frank Vogel doesn't have the ability just to blow up the roster and redraft a new roster. He had to try to make it work with Trevor Ariza. And by the way, Trevor Ariza was out for the first 30 games of the year. And then Frank had to, like, try to work him back in, give him opportunities to ultimately discover that he was better on the bench where he was for the first 30 games. So, I mean, like, there's been a lot of trial and error with this. I mean, you yes, like, a lot of people around the league said, hey, you know, Trevor Ariza was washed three years ago. But... The Lakers made him a priority in the offseason because they felt like he was going to contribute. So Frank Vogel had to give him an opportunity to contribute. Same with Wayne Ellington at times this year. Same with Kent Bazemore. So it's just been a lot of trial and error. I don't know that Frank's been perfect with the way he's handled it. You know, Avery Bradley suddenly not in the rotation, a guy Frank leaned very heavily on for much of the year. But I do feel like they've landed in a respectable place with a lot of guys who I don't think you thought would be contributing to the Lakers this year. You looked at the roster coming into the year, if anything, it was like they had too many guys, right? They were all old, but they had too many guys who were all going to expect to play. And instead what they've done is they've taken all those guys who expected to play, more or less kicked them to the curb and brought in all these other guys who, you know, probably had zero expectation of playing when they joined the Lakers. So it is a unique dynamic in the season and one that nobody could have seen coming, but obviously needed with the trajectory of the season. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing that that I, I think Frank deserves some credit for is that I also think this group is not as malleable as the last two seasons where I think you, you had more like you know, there's isn't a big difference between a Danny Green and a KCP, right? Like you could kind of, 
you could put those guys together or, or you could kind of you know rotate them in, in different lineups and like they're going to kind of serve a, a similar purpose and have similar skill sets. There is a huge difference between, I think, even a Malik Monk and a Taylor Horton Tucker. And, and like, yes, both guys trend more offensive, but, you know, th- th- their skill sets couldn't really be more different. Um, so I think the, the this roster, uh, th- there's also an element of like, the lake like if the lakers do play the two play in games i wouldn't be surprised if if their you know eight man rotation in one of the matchups is completely different than their eight man rotation in another matchup because i think this this roster is full of so many specialists where it really is you have to be careful of you know are we going too small with this lineup are we going too big with this lineup do we have enough spacing do we have enough two-way balance do we have enough energy like there's all these kind of elements that i think with previous teams you could just throw out kuzma and caruso and kcp and like those guys could play small they could play fast uh they, they could space the floor they, they you know they were two-way guys like they don't have that same flexibility with, with this year's rotation so I, I think a lot of it is experimenting and figuring out okay, when we go, when we're playing a, bi- a bigger team, we go with this group. When we play a smaller team, we go with this group. When we play a faster team, we go with this group. And like, I think it's taken maybe a little bit longer than, or a lot longer, depending on who you talk to that, than most people wanted. But I still think the, the Lakers are, are kind of in the process of like, these are the guys we can rely on in, in these instances. And it probably is going to be a different thing because you know, against bigger teams, you probably need Dwight Howard. I don't think you can go get away with just going AD and LeBron and, and that's it. Like we, we've seen yeah. Dwight, Dwight played really well against Joel Embiid. I, I was really impressed with that. And it was one of his best games of the season. So like you, you still have different guys that serve different purposes in different matchups. But um, I think, yeah, I mean, to, 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 I guess our larger point, like the rotation is not played out at all the way that we expected. Um, and, and really, you can say that, you know, it's kind of a, a metaphor for the Lakers season. Yeah. I mean, I think I think I think that's a good way of putting it. I mean, this I mean, like the, the Lakers starting lineup that we all projected and, you know, our sources told us coming into the year that the Lakers were, you know, at least their starting point was, you know, the three stars, obviously. And then Trevor Ariza and Wayne Ellington, you know, you get the spacing from Ellington and, and Ariza and you hopefully get the defense from enough guys that it covers up Ellington's, you know, obvious deficiency defensively. That hasn't even been close. I don't even think we've seen that starting lineup once this season. Like, of all the the 37,000 lineups we've seen, I don't think we've seen that one even once. So, I mean, you know, obviously things change, but, you know, it is it is veered dramatically from what we might have anticipated coming into it. So, um, that is, that is um, you know, obviously just it's the story of the Lakers season. And, you know, we're going to see more lineups, you know, as down the stretch here too. And I think you're right. Like, not only could you see um, – you know, different rotations in the play to play in games, you could see different, you know, starting lineups, you know, depending on the matchup. I think the Lakers would go big against any of New Orleans, San Antonio and the Clippers and Timberwolves. Those are the four potential matchups. I think they'd go big against all those teams because they all have centers. And but then even beyond that, Phoenix has the, like, right. I mean, it's interesting how like they, they have this small ball identity, but all the teams they're most likely going to play are going to force be them big. to go big. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'd have to go back and look, and I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head how they started against San Antonio, but they lost that game. So whatever they did didn't work. Um, so I mean, there's a lot to there's a lot to unpack, and you know, I mean, we're going to be, um, you know, we're going to be we're going to be chronicling it and trying to and trying to keep stay on top of it. I mean, this season has been changing, you know, so dramatically fast, and one thing after another. Um, 
you know, it's been kind of hard to keep up, but um, we try to do that here on the forum club um, you know, on a quasi week, weekly basis. Um, but, you know, certainly at the athletic, we've got stories uh, coming day after day. Jovan had something off the game, uh, <laughs> off the game against the uh, 76ers that talked about the fight the Lakers are showing and how they're kind of investing in that down the stretch. And we'll have more to come uh, leading into these play in games that we think the Lakers are going to be in. But that is certainly far from decided at this point. Um, Jovan, any parting thoughts before we uh, before we say goodbye? I think one thing that I, I was really impressed with last night that I, I don't think got enough coverage was Stanley Johnson had a career high eight assists. And yeah. I know that this is, I'm getting kind of in the weeds here, but I, I know LeBron was out. So that was a big part of that. But Frank kind of mentioned it before the game where, where someone asked him about him having to adapt to modern principles and, and how difficult or, or just kind of how that process has gone for Frank. And, and he mentioned kind of using, you know, certain guys as, as rollers in that sort of Draymond, Bam Adebayo role. And that Stanley had, had kind of been the guy who had, had grasped that the best. And I, I thought you really saw that last night. So I think we, we've talked about Stanley as, as potentially a fringe guy. But to me, he's someone that is emerging as because of his defense, his positional versatility. And now I think some of the playmaking we've seen from him, he is someone that is climbing my chart for, you know, most right there kind of be behind Malik Monk and Austin Reeves as like, you know, third, fourth, fifth, most important Lakers moving forward. Like he's, he's entering that mix for me. So um, I, I've been really impressed with his play as of late. I think he had five assists a couple games ago as well. So he's someone that I know we talk about his defense and his athleticism, but uh, his playmaking I think has been really impressive. And I think he's been a, a key part of this, this recent stretch. Yeah. Well said. All right. So we'll be back next week. We'll have a better sense of where things are going as you know, we tend to, uh, as, as, as time moves forward. Um, but for Jovan Buha, I am Bill Oram. Thank you for listening to the Forum Club. Continue to support the work of The Athletic, and we will talk to you soon. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.